Star Wars Monthly Monday number eight. Charlie, check this out. Oh, outstanding, man. Original cast photo right before they had a check on. Well, how much was it? Sixty dollars. Oh. They got any left? No, I mean, I got last one. Trekkers. Now available in the Hamilton room. Copies of DeForest Kelly's single record. He's dead, Jim. Right now in the Hamilton room. Hey guys. Hey Artie, Artie. How you guys doing on a trivia quiz? Oh, Cinchy. Hey, have you got Khan's middle name? No name. Yeoman Rand's cabin number? Y390. What? What, am I wrong? Am I wrong? <laughs> I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. Then transfer out, freak! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, 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 Back at Star Trek Monthly Monday number eight, and uh, this is a two true freaks geek cast. And uh, I'm one freak, Chris Honeywell, and I'm here with my co freak Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Who's uh, well, the treatment's <laughs> been taking hold pretty good lately. We've been really happy with the progress for the most part. He hasn't been trying to put the Square blocks in the round hole as much as he usually does. Go in the hole! <laughs> and we're so back. how's it going? It's going good. And I'm loving these, these Star Trek shows. This is like sort of a nice little... Um, I don't want to say like a golden age of Star Trek, but there's a lot of attention being paid to Star Trek these days, so it makes the shows a little more exciting for me, I think. And we got all all kinds of fun stuff today. We got some two two different flavors of Star Trek comics. We've got some DC and some Marvel flavored Star Trek comics. Yep. And uh, we've got uh, an the, an infamous Shakespearean style episode of the original Star Trek with a uh, famed emoter Anton Caridian. Of the Caribbean players. You've left me nothing! <laughs> Not bad at all. Wasn't it? And that the, was pretty good, wasn't it? And what episode is it? It's called uh, Conscience of the King. Conscience of the King, which is a quote from, I don't know, some friggin' Shakespeare uh, thing. Hamlet. In, in case the uh, forum uh, people haven't gotten the hint yet, um, I'm not much on Shakespeare at all, so uh, not one of my favorite episodes. Although... 
Well, I'll, I'll, I'll save it for the uh, save it for the review. But uh, let's see, what do we got right out of the gate here? We got uh, we got presents, didn't we? Yes. It's like Christmas around here at uh, the Two True Freaks sprawling vast facility, recording facility. We got uh, gifts from our good buddy on the forum, Biblio Mike, who is an author, a published author. He sent us copies of Star Trek Strange New Worlds number two, which is a uh, what you call just an anthology. Copies, but autographed copies. Well, I don't autographed, know about yours. Yeah. Mine's autographed. I don't know. Absolutely. What, no, is. what what is what does your autograph say? What is what is your to dedication? my best friend ever? I. I'm your follower, and um, if you ever need money, here's my PIN number, and I'm not going to give out his PIN number over the air for obvious reasons, because I imagine he doesn't want me to. It's, you know, for my eyes only. Um, well, fine, then. All he wrote in... buddy of all time, Mike. Uh, well, all he wrote in mine was... It's in red ink, Let's... too. It's in, like, that red ink with... The, like, gold, silvery, shiny stuff that, like, goes in two layers with the red in the middle and has a shiny exterior to it. It's really classy. Well, I don't know. Now I don't know what to think. All he wrote in mine was, for Scott, a true freak, live long and prosper, Mike, with a cheap big pen. So I don't know. Yeah, right. I'm feeling a little bit bit let down now, but, but, uh... Anyway, I understand that you, Mr. Slacker Bastard, haven't actually read the story yet. I immediately cracked That's the true. sucker open and read it. And, uh, I read, I'll, like, the I'll first wait. page, and I was like, ooh, I really like this, and I have not gotten a chance. <laughs> but, I, you know, I was on the run, so it was, so I didn't get a chance. You, you know, had I the want, runs. I want to sit down. Yeah, I was making a run for the border, and, I, you know... <laughs> that that's actually what I should do, you know. I mean, I don't I I don't want to make it sound disrespectful, but that's where the book should end up is in my bookshelf in the bathroom because as Hey, a, then you could you could fulfill that thing we talked about a while ago of of meeting an author and say, "Hey, I read your book on the shitter. It was exactly. great." Exactly. Yeah. So we, you know, we got yeah, Mike that's right. True. Here. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Cuz as of late, that's like the only time I really have time to like I, that that a book could have my Undivided, you know, concentration, which is the way I like to enjoy a book. That's messed up. Well, I will just I say guess. this. I'm, I'm not going to talk about the story. I'm not going to spoil anything because I, I want to come back to this. You and I will we'll talk about it more in, in depth later. But I did read it. Mike, I thought it was fantastic. And I'm not just saying that. If I didn't like it, I would tell you I didn't like it. But uh, I'm impressed, man. (laughs) No, I would. I know you would. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, no, I really enjoyed it. Um, it, It's set right in an era that I really enjoy of Star Trek. And Mike knows his stuff. And I'll tell you, anybody anybody that, that, that has, I'll just say it flat out, anybody that has the balls, frankly, to sit down and write a Star Trek book for publication or a Star Trek story has my respect because as much as I love Star Trek and I feel like I know yeah, it and at one really time I breathe it. it yeah you gotta know it man because you're gonna have legions of, of geeks out there that are gonna pick you to pieces if you fuck something up yep. so he's definitely got my respect because I, I just don't think I could do it I, I'd be so afraid of the of the criticism and the backlash if I had screwed up one detail and all that and frankly I'm surprised it doesn't happen with this show because I know that we get shit wrong all the time but uh, but I really enjoyed it, and uh, 
And, and I just want to say, Mike, uh, you know, the title of the story is The First Law of Metaphysics. Now, I might not be one of those Star Trek fans that knows the episodes and all the dialogue and all that backwards and forwards. But I got the first, uh, what, eight movies nailed because when I worked in video and I worked in video for a long, long time, um, I played the Star Trek movies constantly. You know, the first one through I got out of video about the time that uh, First Contact came out on video. So say those first eight movies. Just, I mean, a million times. So I know those movies backwards and forwards. So when I saw the title of this story, First Law of Metaphysics, in my mind, I could hear, you know, the the sequence with Spock on Vulcan. And so, you know, it was, uh, what does he say? Uh, First Law, or the computer asked him, what was the first, what was uh, the woman's name? I can't remember the woman's, Carrie Kinthaw's First Law of Metaphysics. It was nothing unreal exists. So that was the first thing when I read that was the first thing that popped in my mind was, well, this has got to be about something unreal or something like that. So I, anyway, I won't go any any further into it other than to say I really enjoyed it and I look forward to uh, when Chris reads this so we can come back to it. And just to prove, Mr. Smartass, that Mike likes me better than he likes you, he actually sent me another present on top of really? that. He did. He sent me a book which I have not read yet, so I guess I'm the slacker this time around, but... Uh, he I would just have sent read this it to if me. I would have gotten it. <laughs> well, I'm I'm very behind on my reading right now, and this one's going to take me a while uh. because it's a monster and it doesn't have pictures. Uh. It's a 565 page just monster, but I'm really looking forward to it. Just being a strictly judging a book by its cover kind of guy, I'm I know I'm going to enjoy this book. It's a uh, Star Trek. Mere Anarchy, it says, the complete six-part saga. Now, I don't know much about the book, but I know that it was originally published online as an e-book, and I'll profess uh-huh. ignorance. I really don't know what an e-book is. I'm assuming that literally means it's a book that's published you know, on the, electronically on, my, on the net. Yeah, I think so. But this is this is an actual printing of it. It's like one of those big uh, trade paperback size, but I just love the cover. It's got, uh, it's got Spock, Kirk, and McCoy, but Spock is like... Um, like the cage era Spock. So he's got like the kind of funkier eyebrows and funkier hair and the big sweater with the big collar on it. And then Kirk is in his captain's uniform from the motion picture. So it's that really cool stylized blue shirt. And then McCoy's in his, uh, his dress uniform from, uh, from like, you know, Star Trek two, three era, you know, the red uniform, so uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Just based on the cover alone, I just I like the da- the dynamic images like that. I-, I guess I'm just that kind of a guy, because it's strange. A lot of the old Star Trek books I used to read, a lot of them were were made or broken just by the covers the alone. Cover of them, yeah, yeah. It's I don't know what it is about that, but it's weird. I'm I'm, I'm just a visual person, I guess. Maybe it owes back to the whole comic book thing or whatever. But anyway, thank you very much, Mike. That's totally awesome. And you have raised the bar for the rest of our legion of fans. You guys need to get with it now. Mike's well, Mike's kicking your ass with the uh, with the with swag, the swag. Here, That's so. my favorite kind of swag too. Is something that somebody's created themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the best kind, I think. That's really cool. Totally, totally awesome. And hey, before I forget, I have another thank you to throw out there. And uh, this thank you is to you, Mr. Honeywell. Uh-oh. Thank you for the uh, for all the shit you sent me there recently. I got a big old stack of Star Trek books. Totally awesome. And uh, I know you didn't plan it this way, but the the Deep Space Nine ones that you sent me, they actually uh, 
was the next very next one in line with uh with the ones i already had because I, I think you sent me like oh, issue cool. three and i already had like one and two and i think that completes a story arc so i'm going to sit down and read that here eventually oh, awesome. and um, maybe talk about it on the show there was a star trek annual in there that looked really good it was like a flashback story with with kirk and his nephews i started reading yep. it i just haven't finished it yet there was some other stuff in there and then a whole stack of uh of discs with different video stuff on it so Thank you, man. I appreciate that. That ought to keep you totally. busy for a little while. <laughs> keep me, keep me out of trouble. What was it that 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 kitty show host said? Like that ought to keep the little bastards for a little while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is that That's one of those right. bloopers oh, records. I've got, to, I've got to find that that clip and we'll use it sometime. Yeah, it was. Uh, Remember that one that was like, sucks. "Where have Oops. you been, oh, rambling, my son? Oh, make my bed soon." For I'm weary from. Yay, 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 yay. <laughs> I hope somebody uh, out there knows what the hell. I hope we're somebody listened about. to their bloopers records when those were yeah. around. It was called the records were called part of my blooper, uh, but what what was the guy's name? It was something Schaefer or something. He was like yeah. like the guy who invented the blooper reel, basically. And, yeah. But it was a whole series of these records. I'd bought it. I think I bought them at like a garage sale or something for a couple of bucks. And you and I got the biggest kick out of those damn things as kids. We used to listen to those things nonstop. All there's some good stuff on there. You know what I had to do? I had to, I had to risk it. I, I hate risking anything in the mail, but I had to risk it, and I had to box some suckers up and send them to you so that you can rip them to. Uh, yeah, to MP3. I have the whole setup to do it. Yeah, I had to do that. I really ought to do that because I've got. I still got all that stuff. I got all my records. I just got no way to transpose anything. I tried to hook up my. Uh, my old cassette record. Oh, the bloopers! Re- if it's the bloopers records, I can just find those. Those are those are hit sitting in every garage sale. I may I may have a bunch of them, or my roommate have may have a bunch of them. I'll look around and see if I have those and uh, see if I can't dig some up for the show. I just need to do that. I need to I need to send all that stuff yeah. to you. See, because like back at Christmas time, you know, we did the Christmas special, and uh, and I told people that I'd dig up our old. Uh, tapes where you're making fun of the christmas you know the star wars Wars christmas Christmas album i i have it i found the tape but i just got no way to do it i I tried to hook up my old stereo to the computer a while ago and transpose some of that stuff and it just i don't know what the hell is going on i got such a wicked feedback hum out of it it. that i I had to get all something's fucked up somewhere but that that unit's you know Older than most people listening to our shows. So. Well, now that I got my, I, now that I got the tape deck, I, I, I've got some goodies coming up. I've got some goodies coming up for this show that I've dug up some old Star Trek, Mego commercials and fun stuff. I, I've just been finding all these old Star Trek Mego commercials, and they have this great music in the background that has people chanting Star Trek, Star Trek. Star Trek all through the whole commercial. It's this very evil Star Trek. Oh, you got to throw some of those in the, at at the breaks so that people I can will. hear. I, I've got. I some, wonder I've, if I'll even remember those commercials. I've I don't really remember Amigo commercials. I've got some set up. They're they're quite they're quite fun. I remember Mego Planet of the Apes commercials. Strangely mm-hmm. enough, which was way before I th- I think way before the superhero and the star trek stuff which was more popular i believe but i don't remember any commercials for me go beyond that i don't know maybe i just didn't yeah. don't remember them or didn't catch them or something yeah you'll be hearing them you'll be hearing them soon enough star oh. trek so <laughs> now what 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 were we getting to on this in this first part here we're we gonna All do right, those well, marvel 
Yeah, I'll knock out the Marvel ones real quick because, uh, all right, I'll, I'll set this up again. It's been uh, a little while since I talked about these. Yeah. Marvel Comics, uh, right after Star Trek The Motion Picture, actually the first three issues were devoted to an adaption of Star Trek The Motion Picture. Right after that, Marvel had a series that only lasted 18 issues. And uh, we've been requested to talk about Star Trek comics in general. And somebody actually asked us to talk about this series and, and basically give the rundown of it. So um, in the tradition of how I did the first six, I'm going to do these next six just quick and dirty. Because to be honest, they're, they're just – I hate to be brutal, but you know they, they just aren't really worthy of the full breakdown treatment like we're going to do on the DC stuff. Because the DC stuff – you know, Chris, you made the, the, the comparison of these being like flavors. You know, there was the flavors yeah. of comics with the DC and the and the Star Trek. Well, the DC or the DC and the Marvel, the, D, the DC is like the like the vanilla flavor, you know, like the, the like the big sugar cone you're handed through the window at Baskin Robbins, you know. And then these are like dropping that same one on the ground. So then you got like a little dirt on one side. You <laughs> I know? thought you were going to say like these ones are like the shit sandwich that you would <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far it's because like a, the saving grace on a lot of these is the art. You know, even though the stories, it's mostly the stories where at least up to this point, and I, and I will start to point out when the art starts to slip, because that was the other problem this series had later on was the art started to slip. But for the first, you know, like the first two thirds of this series, I would say the art was pretty amazing. They got some real good talent in there. It was really, it was the stories that failed. I mean, somehow the writers, and we we even got some top-notch writers, they just failed to capture the spirit of Star Trek. And either either the characterization is wrong or the stories are just plain stupid. But uh, here's the quick and dirty rundown of uh, of the next uh, the next six, basically. So we got Marvel Comics Star Trek number seven, written by Tom DeFalco, one of my favorite comic writers, by the way, with art by uh, Mike Nasser, who, you know, again, I liked him a lot. I always liked his art anytime I could uh, run across it. Inks by uh, Klaus Jansen. The Enterprise is dispatched to evacuate a planet threatened by a mutant energy cloud. All right. Already this sounds, you know, like something we've Vaguely seen before. Vaguely familiar, yeah. yeah exactly. There's a race of pretty goofy-looking aliens living on this planet that refuse to leave, and but they're you know the Enterprise guys they beam down they find out these guys are utterly convinced that uh, our heroes are going to save them. <laughs> You're going to save us. Uh, in fact, it turns out they reveal these ancient statues of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Hey, you guys who... are on the statues. <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, they've I'll just expecting... act it out in the background. Sorry. <laughs> All right. They've uh, they've been expecting uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy to to come and save them for twenty four thousand years. That's that's what Spock dates these statues back to. Yeah, that's a long so, time. That's long ass time. So, long story short, the planet gets saved, and and it turns out that these creatures are in some state of evolutionary flux, and that they're evolve evolving. I can't even talk tonight. They're evolving into trans-temporal beings who exist in all time at once or something oh. like that. And they foresaw their own peril and rescue by Kirk and, you know, and the crew. So it wasn't a bad story. You know, it's not the worst one in this bunch, but it, it wasn't great either, but it does have a lot of classic Star of Trek elements. So, yeah. yeah. So it wasn't bad. And the art was really fantastic. I really like, uh, 
Mike Nasser's stuff uh, back in this era. He he eventually came back, and he I think he was under another name, Mike Netzer, I think it was something like that. And I didn't like his his new stuff upon his return as much as I like his classic stuff, but that's neither here nor there, I guess. Next issue is issue eight, written by our old buddy uh, Martin Pascal, who uh, is writing or was the writer on the uh, Saga of the Swamp thing, the early issues that we're reviewing in our Comic Monthly Monday episodes. Art by Dave Cockrum of uh, Uncanny X-Men fame, among other things, with uh, inks by Ricardo Villamonte. Not some of Cockrum's finest art in this tale. Um, In this one, the Enterprise and crew are immobilized right at the beginning of the story by an alien race known as the Mox, uh, which uh, interferes with the Enterprise's mission to transport a critically ill agricultural engineer to a starbase hospital. Suddenly, Spock is abducted by these alien dudes, the Mox, and the Enterprise is towed to a nearby planet. All right, there's a great leap in logic in this where they, Kirk and them, you know, on the assumption that uh, Spock was taken down to this planet, and there's really no evidence for this at all. Kirk and the company, they beam down to investigate um, where they meet another race called the Orgs. And they get embroiled in a fairly standard old sci-fi standby of the battle between the machines, who are the mocks, and the organic creators, who are the orgs. orgs. Ah, that made exactly. mocks and orgs. You know, oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and it's told in a completely substandard way. So it's all very silly, very boring, to be honest, and just plain bad. Um, worst of all is the inclusion and it was completely unnecessary right at the end of the story. There's a bit of dialogue about the orgs actually being descendants of earth humans who had fled during the 1990s to escape the ravages of the eugenics war. That's almost a direct quote from the, from the story. And they evolved into the race that they are today. Now I call bullshit on this. I mean, there's only like 300 years between the time that this story is taking place and the 1990s. So yeah, in that time, this Earth time dudes evolved evolve. into these yeah. blue-skinned, weird-looking alien dudes. I yeah, don't think so. No. I mean, you know, unless they're like deprived of oxygen or something. I don't see what me- I mean, made how, their skin blue. Yeah, how long has recorded human history, and we haven't had like any kind of change into any kind of you know pastel color, right? I just don't see the reason for it. I mean, what was the reason for that little line of dialogue? Oh, by the way, they they came from Earth. What? Why? I mean, it was just totally stupid and unnecessary. But anyway, um, oh, and the uh, there was a subplot with the dying engineer that ends just absolutely ludicrously. It was it was so silly and so stupid. Um, it was just I it was just a bad issue all around. There's really no other two ways about it. Um, but the, like uh, the plague. Well, I mean, the one redeeming quality on this, again, was the art. You know, the Enterprise itself looked really good in this issue. It was uh, very nicely drawn, um, but the rest of the art was was substandard, and the story was just plain stupid. Star Trek number 9 by Marvel, uh, again by uh, Martin Pascal, uh, again with the art by Dave Cockrum, inked this time by Frank Springer, who I'm not a big fan of. The Enterprise Uh, comes across – what's that? Me neither. Yeah, you remember this guy? Oh yeah, I, I remember he drew some yeah. really weird looking Spider Mans. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, he had kind of a a, a heavy handed uh, inking style, I yeah. thought, but yeah, not, not one of my favorites. 
In this, when the uh, the Enterprise comes across the lost uh, starship Endeavor, which has been missing for 22 years, the Endeavor uh, suddenly it comes to life and it begins to fire on the Enterprise. And you know, but it, this is an old class of ship, so it's no match for the new, improved, you know, movie style Enterprise. And you know, they quickly disable the ship. Um, upon beaming over to the ship, Kirk and crew they find out that the uh, the other ship's crew are all dead. The Endeavor is truly a ghost ship. And from there, the issue goes pretty much straight down the tubes. It starts out really cool with this premise. And what could have been a good tale, um, you know, with there's an old flame of Kirk's and all that, it turns into this just big, convoluted, nearly unintelligible and just shoddily researched mess. It was just, it gets really bizarre. It turns out that the grandmother of a, of a new crewman, who just happens to be an old girlfriend of Kirk's was one of the inventors of the transporter and caused the, uh, dis is it discorporation that like the, you know, like the, uh, yeah, she caused the bodies of these people to, to disappear during the testing phase. Well, it turns out that they're disembodied, basically their souls or their spirits, um, are what is responsible for what's happening to the endeavor. And, and that they're slowly possessing the Enterprise crew and making them all wig out. And the resolution of the story is just completely stupid. And and the whole thing is just, it just stinks. Worst of all is the fact that none of the dates given for any of the events um, even remotely match up. And we are led to believe that the transporter must have been, you know, it must have been a brand spanking new invention during the time of the TV series, even though we know it wasn't. So it just right. wasn't, it wasn't well researched at all. I mean, shoddy. we saw them using the transporter in the cage, which is set well before, you know, Kirk's era. So, you know, the, the timeline thing just doesn't match up. Somebody just didn't, didn't check numbers or something. So this whole issue, especially the art, is just terrible. And the sole redeeming point of this one is the use of an old Constitution class ship from the TV series. So it was really cool to see basically an old Enterprise looking ship battling the new Enterprise. That part was kind of cool, but the rest of it, eh, it stinks. All right, moving on quickly to number 10, written by Michael Fleischer, another one of my favorite uh, comic writers. He wrote a, a lot of uh, Jonah Hex stories back in the day with art by someone, I don't remember this guy, Leo Dura, 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 Duranana. It's D-U-R-A-N-O-N-A. Duranana? I don't know. Don't know this guy. Never heard of him. And, and inks by uh, Klaus Janssen. Uh, okay, this was one that just, this one was the, the one in the bunch that I just had to shake my head about. All right, so listen to this. You'll, you'll love this story. All right, so Spock and McCoy, they take a shuttle to the surface of a planet to investigate this unique magnetic field properties this thing has. Of course they crash because, I mean, have we ever seen a Star Trek shuttle mission not crash on the friggin' planet? Exactly. I mean, just once I want to see him take a shuttlecraft and, and nothing happens to the shuttlecraft. But, you know, of course they crash on the planet. So while Spock's trying to fix the shuttlecraft, McCoy goes to have a little look around and he spots these very caveman Conan-esque looking natives and they're about to put this cave girl to death and McCoy immediately wants to butt in and Spock reminds him of the prime directive which forbids interference in the natural affairs of other cultures and blah 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 anyway you know if you know about the prime directive remember that it's important in the, in this story in just a minute 
so the girl spots McCoy and Spock and she runs to them, you know, I guess, assuming that they're going to protect her or help her or whatever. And uh, Spock's little prime directive speech is like immediately forgotten when he realizes that his and McCoy's uh, asses are on the line and, and he opens fire on these cavemen guys. Now the cavemen weren't doing anything to them. They were just chasing the girl, but for whatever reason that they just open up on him and mow a bunch of them down with their phasers. So McCoy and the girl, they escape, but Spock gets captured and he's put to work as a slave for this guy called fat Ragnock, who, uh, he's kind of like a Pharaoh type of guy. I love the name. <laughs> fat Ragnarok. And, uh, you know, he's having this big monument built to himself, kind of, you know, kind of all Pharaoh style and everything. So in the meantime, I'm McCoy gets... my name to Fat Ragnarok. I like Fat that. Ragnarok. That'd make a good forum name, I think. So in the meantime, McCoy, uh, is brought, uh, to the girls tribe and, uh, they take him in and he teaches them how to make bows and arrows, which immediately, you know, they immediately use to gain the upper hand against uh-huh. fat Ragnarok and they overthrow him. So it's worth noting that by this point, we've had two interludes with Kirk wondering what he's going to do about his missing friends since the, the whole magnetic whammy thing around the uh, the planet has you know of course fucked up the transporter you know this is always the standby excuse and they can't use the thing right so apparently nobody's gone down to the uh, shuttle bay and looked to see if maybe they might have another shuttlecraft so you know I'm positive there's more than one if, of these things anyway it, huh it's a big enough bay you'd think they'd have more than one in there <laughs> yeah. I, I just it, it's things like this that if I can think of it I just wonder why. The author didn't, because I always assume that the author of a story is smarter than I am, and I hate it when they're not. You know, Wrong. when I think of while I'm reading the story that they didn't think of apparently while they were writing it. But anyway, you know, back to the cave people. Um, you know, back to their scrap. They're uh, they're in the middle of a big battle, and uh, Ragnarok is killed by K- Kabarg. I can't even pronounce this guy. I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to say KB. It's it's this weird looking name, and he's the tribal uh, he's the rival tribe leader um, of the tribe that McCoy armed with bows and arrows. So what does he do? He immediately sets him, himself up as the new dictator and demands that the monument be finished, but he wants it to be altered to to bear yeah. his likeness. Right. So McCoy realizes he's fucked up pretty bad, and Spock agrees with him. So you know they beat feet. And uh, at last, they get picked up by Kirk, who finally remembered that there are other shuttlecraft on the Enterprise. And on the last page, we get a just perfectly out-of-character exchange between McCoy and Spock, where they basically decide they're going to hush the whole damn thing up and keep it a secret just between the two of them and keep it from Kirk. Now, they just brought about a vast cultural, political, and tactical military change on this planet. They killed Fat Ragnarok. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, they, they, they gave these people, what, uh, you know, I mean, granted it's bows and arrows, but it, it amounts to yeah. advanced technology. Yeah, you know, so and they're just the gonna, prime directive. Exactly. They're just going to up and split and just, you know, mums the word about this. I mean, really? All right. Now, even if I could buy that behavior from McCoy, which I, I could be per- persuaded, but from Spock? I mean, no. not only is he a Vulcan, he's the Vulcan first office, officer exactly. of the Federation flagship. Exactly. And he's going to cover this up, a major 
breach of the prime directive? I, I just don't fucking think so. No, not at all. So, you know, it's a stupid story. I, I think really, I, I get the, the distinct impression that this story was written to match a cover that somebody drew. Cause the cover on this one is, <laughs> you may have seen it. It's, it's the famous Spock, the barbarian cover. I mean, that's literally what it says. It shows Spock. He's standing on some like caveman's body and all these caveman guys are all around him. And he's holding a spear and it says Spock, the barbarian. So I almost get the feeling like maybe this story was written around that cover or something. Yeah, it was I don't, just a concept. I, it, Somebody said, let's do one about where Spock has to be like Conan the Barbarian. And it was just And then lame. they wrote it in 10 minutes. But the issue, it's slightly redeemed by the fact that evidently the, the story is a little bit shorter than, than normal. So they included five pages of what they call Starfleet files, and it showcases like all the new uniforms and some of the equipment, rank insignias, and all that sort of stuff of like this post the motion picture, uh, you know, this motion picture era Star Trek, you know, and like really explains all the new uniforms and you know duty yeah, uniforms and it's, it's probably all stuff they had to use to get all the art right. Right. Yeah. So it's actually pretty cool. You know, that that part of it was actually fairly interesting. And there was even some stuff in there that, you know, that I wasn't aware of. So I, I enjoyed that. That makes the, the issue worth picking up. But the rest of it, the, the story, just plain stupid. Um, number 11, again, by uh, Marty Pascal on the writing. Uh, beautiful art this time by Joe Brazowski and uh, our old buddy, uh, Tom Palmer on the inks. Now, Tom Palmer you know, of course, did a lot of Star Trek stuff, or excuse me, Star Wars Star stuff. Wars. You know, we, we've covered a little bit of him on our Star Wars uh, monthly Mondays, and uh, you know, he's also famous for a long run on uh, on Avengers. Always like Tom Palmer; he makes anybody look good. I mean, this Joe Barzowski, he's he's a good artist anyway, but Tom Palmer coming along to do the inks, you know, just just pushes it up that extra notch. Really good art on this one. Um. Now, uh, Tom Palmer also did the uh, – well, actually, this team, Brozowski and Palmer, they also uh, did the cover on this one, which is a really nice cover. It's like the Enterprise getting attacked by like a a giant I, – I always thought it looked like a giant space worm or something like that. But it turns out um, I think it's actually supposed to be the Loch Ness Monster. So that's – it's funny. It doesn't look anything like what I think the Loch Ness Monster is supposed to look like, but I think that is what it's supposed to be. So anyway, you know, sadly, the, the gorgeous artwork – um, is just completely lost on an absolutely shit story. I mean, this one's terrible. All right, we get this old jilted flame of Scotty's. Um, she comes aboard the ship, and she's gained mental mind powers from this like cultish old dude who personifies just absolutely the the very worst parts of of Star Trek like fanatical characters like Dr. Severin from yeah. The Way to Eaton oh, and Cybok from Star Trek V. Now, I liked Cybok, but the crazy side of Cybok in Star Trek V, I, I thought really owed a lot back to like Dr. Severin. So if you know what I mean by like the bad parts of their their personifications, then then you'll understand what I mean by this this kooky old cult guy in this one. Anyway, she's using her, her new phone. Mind powers, and she's basically using Scotty's childhood memories of ancient Scottish folklore folklore monsters to torture him. She's actually like bringing these things to physical being out of his mind or some shit. I don't know. Basically, this this issue. Does just he ever say it. the word beasties? Uh, you know, I can't remember. He may. He probably does because at one point. 
she literally conjures a space-going version of the Loch Ness Monster that fights the Enterprise. So he probably does say beasties at some point. But I don't know. I can't remember because he does spend an awful lot of time down in sickbay just kind of moaning and groaning and being put under sedation and stuff. So maybe he doesn't. I can't remember. But aside from the art, which is fantastic, there's like no redeeming qualities on this one at all. It's just an absolutely shit story. It was terrible. I mean, you know, I know there were some bad episodes of, of the show, you know, the original series. I mean, there's no two ways around it. There were some episodes that just plain sucked. But I think the problem here was that we've got like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, we get issue after issue that just plain suck. You know what I mean? There's, there just, there wasn't enough. And so it's really no wonder that the series only lasted a year and a half, really. But uh, we'll go out on somewhat of a, of a high note with number 12. Um, This one written by, or let me see here. We've got a, or it was written by uh, Marty Pascal again. He was the script runner, but it was from a plot by Alan Brennert with arc by uh, Luke McDonald, who I didn't care for a lot in his early stuff, but he got a lot better as years went on. Um, And again, inks by Tom Palmer, which like I said before, he always makes everybody look good. You know, I don't care who the artist is. Tom Palmer's just got great inks on anybody. Um, This one wasn't a bad tale. It was all about uh, Janice Rand of all people. And she's got a new husband and he's this weird bodiless energy creature that that lives in like this little transparent pyramid thing. It's actually kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I guess. yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how that works, but Too yeah. Much anyway, woman. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Janice and and her bodiless energy husband and some other members of his race—they're setting out on the starship Icarus, which right there would raise a red flag to me. Uh, a starship named after yeah. Icarus yeah. doesn't seem like a really good idea. Don't go near the sun. Yep, there you go. So they're uh, they're going to explore beyond the barrier breached by the Enterprise in where man where no man has gone before. You remember the the pink ribbon that I sure. wondered why the hell just fly over it or under it? They're going to fly through that thing again, which again double bad idea. So of course immediately things go all screwy, and it's up to Kirk and the crew to you know rescue the uh, the Icarus. It's you know it's not a spectacular issue. But it is one of the the better issues, definitely one of the better issues in quite a while. I mean, in this string of six issues, it's really the standout one. And, uh, you know, save for, uh, you know, some some nice shots of the Enterprise and all that, you know, it it has really good art. Um, We also see a lot more of the ship in this issue than we did in prior issues. And I always like that. You know, I always like when the, the comics took advantage of the fact that, you know, this wasn't something that was coming out every couple of years like the movies. This was something that was coming out every month. So they had more freedom to, you know, explore not only characters, but to explore the ship. You know, the Enterprise is supposed to be a, a city in space. We should see more than just the bridge and the transporter room. And, you know, for the first time in this series, we really see a lot more of the ship. And I like that. And it was nice to see uh, Rand again. You know, and she had a much bigger role in all that. But I was kind of curious why she doesn't look a damn thing like Grace Lee Whitney in this. And I I wonder if that was on purpose, that maybe they didn't have the rights to use her likeness or some screwy thing like that. I don't know. But the the character in this, you know, it's clearly supposed to be Janice Rand, but she just doesn't look anything like the actress that played her in the series or, you know, in the movies when we saw her a little bit in the movies. And she also seems to be just a little bit too familiar with Captain Kirk. She calls him Jim, I think, constantly through the issue. I don't think she ever calls him Captain or, or, um, 
or, or you know any any title of respect or anything. I think she calls him pretty much just Jim flat out. And I know that's nitpicky, but it just kind of bugs me when when I well, see stuff like that. She might still like him a little bit because she does have a bodiless energy husband. <laughs> well, it's funny because Kirk makes a comment that could be construed as basically, you know, oh, sexually, how does that work or whatever? You know, right. it's kind of funny. He he makes some sort of comment about basically how, how does, you know, how does he fulfill you or something like that, which I got a kick out of, uh, you know, because of course Kirk would think of that. Just um, a minute. But, you know, this, this is the issue I wanted to make, make, special uh point you know i I made a special uh, note to myself in the in my notes to uh bring this up one of my beefs with the the star trek series you know when i thought back on it in my memory before i sat down to reread this series was i just remembered there being a lot of shots of the enterprise in this series that just looked wonky and you know here we are at the 12th issue so i guess my memory wasn't as good as i as i thought i thought there were a lot more issues but this was the first time this comes up and I, i'm sure it just gets worse from here because i remember some that are really really bad but there's several shots in here where like the enterprise just looks odd it's like the nacelles you know they're they're either they're too low or they're too high or it looks like the ships melted or something it's just all distorted looking and i know it gets really bad because i know that there's uh, i'm gonna have to find it and and point it out when it comes up but i remember distinctly there was at least one panel in one issue of this marvel run where the nacelles were actually like underneath the engineering section so you had basically the nacelles came up to engineering and then it goes from engineering to the bridge. So it was all wonky. You know, it's like the nacelles could lower and raise like they do on Voyager or something. It was yeah, really bizarre. Stupid like that. But, uh, you know, like I say, this wasn't a bad issue, but uh, even beyond the story itself, what, what really redeemed this one and, and I think totally makes this one worth finding in like a 50 cent bin or whatever is the Hostess Cupcake ad where it has the human torch versus this big haired redhead woman with a giant blow dryer. That one, it just cracked me up, man. It was great. So you got to get it just for that. Of just course. to see the, the human torch versus a blow dryer. <laughs> it's awesome. So that's it for uh, for this time for Marvel Comics Star Trek. That was uh, 7 through 12. And next time around, when I get to it, we'll, uh, we'll do the rest of the series, the last six issues. We'll be right back with some a different flavor of Star Trek comics after we have a few words from... Our sponsor, Miko. Star Trek. I got the tape. Get the tricorder. Let's play it. The Star Trek tricorder, 4C batteries not included, is a cassette tape recorder with a pre-recorded cassette of Star Trek voices. You can check the display screen, listen to the voices of Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock, or turn the cassette over, press the record button, and tape your own adventures. The Star Trek tricorder with built-in microphone, window display screen, and pre-recorded tape. From Miko. The charts show a meteorite field. We have to change course. Activate the Star Trekulator. Trick. Now you can play Star Trek with a Star Trekulator, a digital calculator that never makes a mistake. Batteries not included. Take these numbers. 6,000. 6,000. Check. Divide by 12. <laughs> Check. 
And that finishes the homework for the day. The Star Treculator adds, multiplies, divides, and subtracts by Migo. Okay, we're back, and it's uh, DC's Star Trek time as we go into issue number two of the uh, DC Comics Star Trek from, uh, oh, God, what year was this? 1983, I think, something like 84. that? 84. 84. Yeah, this is the March 1984 issue. Let me quick give the uh, quick and dirty on this one. Yeah. All right. All right, we got a, ju- a cover on this one by uh, George Perez. Also, you know, always a treat to see his art. Really fantastic cover, although I can't quite figure out what's supposed to be happening. It also almost looks like Kirk's doing like a Superman, like he's like he's pushing the ship out of the way or something. I'm not sure exactly what the heck's supposed to be happening, but it's still an awesome-looking cover. really like that one. Written by Mike W. Barr, art by Tom Sutton and Ricardo Villagran. All right, picking up right where the last issue left off, we've got Kirk and Ensign Bryce. They've gone into wormhole space and discovered a massive Klingon space station with enough firepower to destroy an entire... Oh, wait, no, that's a different movie. To seize an entire sector of Federation space. Uh, More or less the same thing. Yeah, more or less. So uh, Bryce, she uh, she fights off this wave of, like, wormhole distortion and everything, or disorientation, rather... And, uh, and then she and Kirk proceed into the station. In the meantime, Savick, um, she's brought a shuttlecraft, and she arrives in wormhole space, and she reports on her findings and everything uh, via a, an unsecured line so that basically she wants the Klingons to hear her so that she can draw uh, attention, draw their attention away from Kirk and Bryce. So uh, Captain Koloth, the uh, enemy, uh, the, the Klingon commander, he docks his uh, Klingon battlecruiser and he and his crew transport over to the station and he assumes command of the station. U- upon being informed of uh, Savick and, you know, uh, of the shuttlecraft that she's flying, he orders it to be captured. And when these little, uh, these cool little like fighter craft, I-, I don't think we've ever seen these things before or since. They're, they're like little Klingon fighter craft. Almost like uh, like those ships they used on DS9, like the runabout type of thing. Yeah, it they, almost when looks they, like something they made up for the for this issue. You know, for yeah, the... it could be. Yeah, I'm, I, I'll have to see if they ever use these again, but I, I don't recall ever seeing them before or since. But uh, I thought they were kind of cool looking in their design. Not not particularly Klingon looking, no, but they the, were still kind of cool. They've got a little little tinge of Imperial shuttle in them. Ah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I hadn't thought. Yeah, you're right. Well, when they leave the station um, to go after Savick's uh, shuttlecraft, Kirk and Bryce sneak in through the uh, the airlock that gets opened for these fighters to leave the station. Um, you know, as soon as uh, Kirk and Bryce get inside, you know, they are immediately attacked by all these Klingon warriors. And it's great, man. It's classic Star Trek. Kirk kicks their asses. It's yeah, I just love it. I mean, he just totally dives into these guys. He's swinging his helmet around, bashing them and stuff. And while he's doing all that, uh, Bryce, um, you know, she gets captured, but just momentarily. And she frees herself basically by using her thruster suit. And she kind of like flies over the guys and everything. It's pretty cool. She uh, regains her phaser that she lost, you know, when she was getting away from the Klingons. 
and she gets cornered by several of these guys and she's got them at phaser point, but she freezes up and she's unable to fire. And finally she, uh, she gets goaded by Kirk. You know, he tells her, you know, they killed your father. And then she kind of freaks out and she uh, proceeds to go all trigger happy and she mows them all down. And, uh, you know, after the, you know, the dust is settled, she apologizes to Kirk for freezing up. And I love it. This is one of my favorite moments of the whole issue. There's a totally Kirk moment, you know, the art's really good, you know, and the look on Kirk's face. And, and you could almost imagine this was, yep. you know, a, an old movie or I mean, an old episode moment uh, where Kirk, you know, he just kind of shrugs it off. And he admits that, you know, it can happen to, you know, it can happen to anybody. It happened to him once on Tycho 4, which was a reference to uh, the, uh, you know, the classic episode Obsession where Kirk fought the uh, the SPD fart cloud. And, uh, you know, we also get a nice little exchange between McCoy and uh, the temporarily in command Mr. Sulu about, you know, what can they possibly do? You know, what could be going on, you know, with the captain and, and Bryce and, and all that. And uh, after their little exchange on the way back to sick bay, uh, McCoy gets to thinking about Spock. You know, Spock got mentioned in the conversation. And, you know, Spock at this point, you know, you'll remember he's dead. You know, he died in Star Trek II. This tor- story takes place right after Star Trek II, between two and three. And uh, McCoy wonders to himself, you know, what did Spock mean when he told McCoy to remember? You know, remember what? And Sulu, you know, he's also doing some some reflection of his own and he's wondering – you know, why hasn't he been given his own command yet? So, you know, just a tiny bit of, of character development in this issue with those, uh, with those characters. But I like that. Um, we cut to Savick. She's being chased and fired upon by all these little Klingon fighter craft. And she eludes him for a while. She pulls all kinds of fancy tricks. But eventually um, they do capture her and they tow her back to the station. Kirk and Bryce, they're still inside. They hear someone coming and... Uh, you know, they, they, they set up an ambush and they get the drop on Conum, who is the, or is it Conum? I'm not sure. Conum or Conum? What do you think? Is it Conum or Conum on this guy's name? I would go with Conum. Conum? Conum. Conum, the Klingon barbarian. He's the uh, peacenik Klingon. You know, he, he's against the killing and it, it upsets his tummy when, you know, whenever there's uh, killing going on or whatever. He kind of pisses me off, to be honest with you. Anyway, he tells Kirk and uh, and Bryce, "I'm on your side," which I just get a kick out of that. Um, you know, Kirk demands that he prove it by taking them down to the uh, the wormhole stabilizer because basically this this space station, there's something going on with this Klingon station where it's actually stabilizing the wormhole and like I don't know, holding it open or holding it to where it doesn't destroy the station or something like that. They're actually inside a a wormhole that's been like artificially stabilized. Anyway, uh, Conan, you know, he agrees to do this if, if there's no killing and I'm just like, you know, what a, what a wussy ass Klingon. And I like Klingons at this time period. I I don't want to see them in touch with their feelings and all that. Like we get later on. Well, uh, How did this guy get so far in the Klingon army, you know, as such a (laughs) little pussy Klingon? Why isn't he, uh, why isn't he growing food or something, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they've got to have like artists and teachers and stuff, you know, why isn't he doing, why the hell is he on the the very least farmers and, you know, doctors and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, a good point. And it's an excellent point. I I don't understand this guy at all. I remember him liking him a lot when I was reading this as a kid, but now I read this as an adult and I'm like, 
man up, you damn stupid wussy ass Klingon. And what's wrong with you? Anyway, um, you know, they're in the midst of all this and they're on their way to this stabilizer thing. And suddenly they get attacked by even more Klingons. So Savick, um, she's been captured and she's taken before Captain Koloth. And uh, she takes advantage of a distraction caused by, you know, somebody calls up to the, the bridge or the command center, wherever they all are, and tells them about these Federation saboteurs that they found. And uh, she grabs a phaser and causes a disruption. She runs off. So Kirk, you know, he's pinned down by enemy fire at this point. He signals for the Enterprise to do an emergency beam out of him and Bryce. But, you know, as usual, due to jamming or interference with the wormhole or some damn thing, Sulu and them, they, you know, they can't comply. They can't beam him back. So, you know, Bryce is wondering what they're going to do. And Kirk tells her, you know, he has another idea. So he contacts Savick. And, you know, he learns that she's already on the space station. So he orders her to commandeer the Klingon transporter room and you know she goes in and there's a really cute little moment where she goes in and, and basically takes over the transporter room she transports herself uh kirk bryce and konam to the enterprise and uh you know the klingons back on the station uh they discover the device that bryce planted on the wormhole stabilizer just in time pretty much for it to blow up right in their faces which that was a great moment i like that a lot the station, uh, you know, then it drops out of wormhole space back into normal space uh, where Kirk, you know, demands Koloth surrender. And Koloth instead, you know, he hits a button on his on his control panel and it, you know, presumably it makes the station, you know, including himself and everybody that was on it, blow to bits. We just, we just see this big flash of light that I, I guess is supposed to be, you know, the station just blowing itself up. Um you know, it's kind of made me scratch my head in this one. Now, of course, you know, this was written in 1984 and they had no way of knowing what was coming along. But, you know, we do eventually see uh, Koloth again many years later on Deep Space Nine. And, uh, you know, it'll, it'll just be interesting to see, you know, as we read these issues, if we ever see uh, Koloth again in, in this DC series or maybe even the next one after this, because he can't really be dead if you go according to canon. So I'm just kind of wondering, you know, did he really die in this story or, right. or, or what's going on? Anyway, uh, Kirk receives an update on the condition of Konam, who uh, was wounded while they were escaping. McCoy says he's doing fine. And we see a panel of Bryce with him, uh, with Konam in, uh, in sick bay. And it kind of gives you the impression that maybe she's developing feelings for this big pussy. Which is kind of funny because even if she was, it just seems like it's happening awful fast. You know, I mean, they they just met this guy, and yeah, maybe she's, she's got to... Klingon fever. You know, <laughs> I guess. But I mean, they killed her father, so I, I don't, oh, I don't, right. I, I don't quite get it. You know what I mean? But anyway, and uh, there's a nice panel of Kirk kind of pondering the meaning of Koloth's last words. You know, Koloth shouted something about, you know, you and your accursed Federation will soon find out. And Kirk's wondering, you know, what that was all about. So, you know, ha as he's wondering this, he gets a report from Uhura that, you know, all the subspace, whatever, has cleared up and communications are clear again. And she's receiving a very strong signal. So she puts, puts it on the uh, view screen where we see Kales, the fourth emperor of all Klingons, and he declares war on the Federation due to the savage, aggressive acts of James T. Kirk. Yes. And, uh, and that's pretty much where the issue ends. And uh, what, did, what did you think of this one? Well, 
not that I've been re- uh, that I have the the Marvel Star Trek comics, but I remember them. And for where for everything that they did that that didn't feel right about Star Trek, this one pretty much does. Amen. This one this one feels like Star Trek. It's got like you said those moment the moment with um with Kirk and uh and Bryce, you know, where he said, you know, hey, I, I fucked up too. Some beautiful, um, the art's hit and miss, but I sort of like the stylized aspect of the art that sort of shows up, and the faces are done really well. And right. the shots of the Enterprise, the, the drawings of the Enterprise, there's a couple really gorgeous ones. There's a really nice one of Koloth sort of in the shadow too, just of his face towards the end before he blows himself up where his face is in the shadow, you know, just poke, right. poking out of the shadows. And, you know, all in all, it wasn't the deepest story in the world, but it was pure Star Trek. It had, it had every, you know, everybody was doing their thing. The only thing that's missing is Spock, you know? Yeah. But everybody, everybody uh, fulfills their purpose and sort of, and they're, and they're, and they were sort of trying to, uh, you know, work Savick into the Spock position, which right. I think was her original. That was her original thing. Was uh, she was probably created to take Spock's place until he came back, and then she was just gone. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, it discarded. would be interesting to see how how you know things might have been unfolded had Spock and Leonard Nimoy never returned to Star right. Trek after. Um, Star Trek Two, you know, if, if they if they had truly, you know, been forced to to not only not work with Leonard Nimoy, but also to to leave Spock completely out of it, not even like recast him or anything, it would have made it would have made the new Star Trek movie. It would have made the new Star Trek movie a really big deal because it would have been like the return of Spock after oh, thirty true, years yeah. or something. It would have it would have. It would have like doubled its box office, probably. Well, you know, I know that the that the show, the TV show Enterprise, is something of a dirty word amongst Star Trek fans. But one of the things I do enjoy in that show, as I'm still very, very slowly making my way through that series, uh-huh. I do like the dynamic between the the captain on that show, who is very Kirk-like. And the, uh, you know, the Vulcan first officer, you know, and she's a female. So I kind of wonder if maybe the relationship that they developed and the way they work off each other, we might have gotten a little bit of that with, say, with Kirk and Savick, if, mm-hmm. if that had stuck. And I think we do get a little bit of that with this series as it goes along, if I recall correctly. But I'm surprised by how vague and incomplete my memories of this series are. I mean, I really just remember emotions. I remember liking it, but I can't remember, like, distinct stories or anything like that. You know, if if Spock hadn't come back, there could have been the distinct possibility that somewhere in a movie, Kirk and Savick could have made out, you know? Oh, yeah. And uh, she was half Romulan, so she had some some boiling blood in there, you know? And there could have been a episode where they're trapped in in the mine... During the pond far and it could yeah. have gotten really interesting. Yeah, I, I could see that actually. I could see her and and, and Kirk hooking up at some point. Yeah, but you know, in the uh, I don't know if they ever filmed any of it for the movies, but I know in the uh, in the novelization of 
it was either two or three or maybe both. She and David, Kirk's son. That's um, right. Did, did the dirty. And there, so. Yeah, and there was a little bit of subtext of that in the movies, too. You could sort of pick yeah. up on it a little bit. Actually, there's a, now that I think about it, there's a cut scene that you can see online. Maybe it's YouTube or somewhere of a scene that, that got deleted. I don't even think it's on any of the DVDs or anything uh-huh. where, where Kirk realizes that, that she and David have gotten it on. And he says something about, well, I see she's learning by doing or something like that, which is you know, <laughs> Very a reference to a line that he said, you know, earlier in the, in the movie, you know, when they were sharing the turbo lift, he, he told her that, you know, we learn by doing. And so this was, that was like <laughs> a callback. To, I, I kind of got a kick. I just remembered that, but, uh, you know, you were talking about the art, and it struck me as I was reading this issue that I think I finally nailed what what the art reminds me of, and it's nowhere near as polished or refined or or frankly as good. But it kind of reminds me of a little bit. Is it reminds me a little bit of Gene Colan? Yeah, because uh-huh. Colan has that kind of flowy, kind of flowy, wispy, almost dreamlike quality to his artwork too that this one has sometimes to where things that should be rigid and stiff like the Enterprise and machinery have kind of a, a wobble to them, if you know what I mean. And and I that that that's kind of a, a colonism. So I wonder if you know if that's what they were going for, could, if it's just it coincidence. Could have been an that, influence with the yeah. author or the writer or the artist, you know. Yeah. But I do like the art, you know, it, it's, it's not, you know, it's not bad or anything. I, I didn't, I hope I didn't give the impression before that I didn't like it. It's just, you know, it, it's that trade-off, you know, uh, there's a lot, you know, a lot of artists are really, they're either really good with people or they're really good with things. And you don't see a lot of them that, that can do that both, both successfully. Yeah. So with the Marvel series, I think we saw some excellent art with things but not always so much with the people whereas in this one it's kind of the other way around the, yep. the people generally look pretty good and it's sometimes it's the things that are, are a little a little wobbly looking but uh and my my last note for this one was uh and i always feel weird pointing out things you know continuity things or whatever for the later series like you know, next gen and beyond, because I'm not near as versed on all that stuff as I am on classic Trek, but I just thought it was worth pointing out that, uh, you know, according to, to later events and later Canon of Star Trek, there, there really couldn't have ever been this, uh, Emperor Kalos the fourth that we see at the end of this issue, because according to the episode, um, I think it's called rightful air. It was an episode of, uh, Next Generation, where Kalos supposedly, you know, the classic, you know, legendary Klingon Jesus Christ figure of Kalos, you know, he returns, you know, as he promised, you know, kind of like how Christ promised to return. Right. You know, Kalos promised when he finally went away in Klingon mythology, he promised to one day return. And then he actually did. And he, he really did come back. And somewhere in that episode, you know, there's a line about how, you know, because I think what it is at the end of it, they want him to become emperor again uh, of the Klingons or this is the role they set up for him or whatever. I forget the exact details, but there's a line in the episode, something about how there hadn't been an emperor in so many hundreds of years. It's like 300 years or something like that. So that would definitely cover 
this era of of star trek so you know and you know we saw that like in the movies and in the later episodes and stuff too that you know they had chancellors and you know basically like like presidents or whatever rather than than actual emperors so but i still like the idea you know whoever uh, i guess it must have been mike barr who came up with this i like the idea that the emperor you know was was evidently a a, a descendant of Kalos. you know he still yeah. used the Kalos name and that was a callback to uh you know the Kalos character from uh oh i can't remember the name what's the name of that episode with space abe lincoln there i can't remember that oh i i can I never remember totally, that yeah, I totally blank. Help me, Spock. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Oh, I love that episode too, and I can't ever I remember too. the name of it. Oh, somebody will beat us up on the forum or whatever. You dumbasses! The name of that episode is blah blah blah, and then I'll be like, "Yes, I know. That's right. I should remember because I love the episode, but I, sometimes I, I just can't remember names. All I can think that's of is what Aaron. happens when you start getting old. Ah, oh, I'm telling you. But that's pretty much it, I think. For yeah. well, did you have any on this one? Uh, no, not really. Um, another note on the art, I think there's a little Gil Kane in there, too. Yeah. Uh, around the edges. Um, yeah, just a gen- generally enjoyable Star Trek, Star Trek yeah, episode. Be, might be interesting to see, uh, to see what's going on with these guys these days, and I wonder what the possibility is we could ever talk to some of these guys, because, you know, I don't think I've seen anything from, uh, Tom Sutton or Ricardo Villagran in a hell of a long time. I wonder if these guys are even still alive for that matter, you know? Knows, it might be interesting yeah. to talk to them and, and find out, you know, what, I have what no are idea their, how old they were when they were drawing that stuff, you know, 25, yeah. well, know 30 Mike, years ago. I know my, Mike Barr must still be around because, uh, you know, the, the book that, uh, that Biblio Mike sent me, this Mere Anarchy, he's cited as one of the artists, or uh-huh. excuse me, one of the writers, rather, for this oh. book. So I'm excited to read that just because his name is on it. I like his Star Trek stuff, so, you know, he at least is still around. I just don't know what's up with these other guys. Well, but that's it for that one. So uh, now we got. Uh, you want to take a break first? I, th- I think wanna... we should take a break, and we'll come back with uh, with our episode of classic Star Trek: The Original Series, Conscience of the King. Mego presents the Star Trek action figures featuring the crew of the Enterprise, Captain James T. Kirk, their fearless leader. Dr. Bones McCoy, caring for the health of the Enterprise crew. Scotty, the chief engineer, in charge of the transporter room. Mr. Spock, the Vulcan, second in command. And the Klingon, enemy of the Star Trek crew. Star Trek action figures, complete with accessories shown. Each sold separately from Mego. Kevin, this is Scott. Kevin, this is Scott. Do you hear me? Or now. The Star Trek communicators with push-to-talk button. Scott, this is Kevin. My bike is broken. Can you help me? Over. Yes, but send me a signal so I can find you. Star Trek communicators with a range of 1,300 feet. Push-button, twin-warp sound uses one 9-volt battery not included. Star Trek communicators with belt-hook telescoping antenna and twin-warp sound from Mego. Well, hey, we're back, and it's uh, it's time to go over our episode of classic Star Trek. This time, I did not watch it as a as a restored, fixed up 
doctored up, whatever you want to call it, version. I watched it off YouTube. Oh, I did. Which, I'm sure the YouTube version I watched is one of the sort of cleaned up versions, but it wasn't the, you know, it didn't didn't have anything added or, or enhanced. The new, the new effects, is that right, what you're talking about? Right, right. This was the first one, the first complete episode of the enhance that I actually did watch oh. as the enhance. And it's a strange one really to pick to watch because I wouldn't imagine there's too much to be doctored with with this one. No. Okay, the, well. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh. I was going I was going to say if you were curious, but I I can save it to the end. We can edit edit that that out. I mean, interrupt you. Oh, that's okay. So so I'll just I'll give the 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 rundown on this one. Uh it's, we start out in a very strange Star Trek beginning in the middle of a of a play of Macbeth, and uh, Kirk and his friend Tom Layton are watching a performance of of uh, Macbeth, and uh, when when we come back, we find out that um, that Kirk's kind of pissed because Tom's his old friend, and he sort of tricked Kirk by sort of leading him on that. He has, you know, some sort of medical supplies or something that are needed to get the Enterprise air because he thinks the actor in this uh, traveling company is really this uh, this uh, war criminal named Kodos the Executioner, who is another eugenics-style killer from the from the past, and uh, it turns out Kirk and and this guy Tom Layton are both survivors of this you know horrible situation where Kodos the executioner had 4,000 people you know killed off in order you know to save a colony you don't really know what the situation is but he's basically you know treated as a war criminal and then you know his body was burned up and there was never, you know, really a, a positive match made to his body. So, but the, you know, the case was closed on Kodos the Executioner. Well, anyway, this guy Tom Layton, who uh, it's great because you sort of see him from the side at, during um, when they're watching the play, and then when you come back from the the first commercial, you see that like half of his face is in basically an. He, he some people would have an eye patch. Tom Layton has a face patch over like half of his face presumably from his Kodos the Executioner experience so he swears that this guy is Kodos the Executioner and that's why he tricked Kirk into coming and uh, and and getting there because it's very important that Kodos be brought to justice well uh, you know Kirk's skeptical but you know Tom's his friend and he kind of insists and and so Kirk's like, all right, and starts looking into this actor, uh, Anton Caridian's past, and finds out, well, the guy's past doesn't really go past when Kodos the Executioner, quote-unquote, disappeared. So that's a little sketchy. So Kirk's starting to smell a rat. And uh, meanwhile, at a nice little mixer that, that, that Tom Layton has arranged for the, uh, the acting troupe, Kirk is, is waiting there to see Anton Caridian and see, you know, see him up close and see if he remembers him. Although he really only had a, didn't really sound like he had a really good look at, at him, you know, or th that he didn't really know him personally, but he had seen him. So Kirk's sort of waiting for him to show up at the party. 
But uh, Anton Kridian's daughter, Lenora, shows up and says her father's not coming. And she and Kirk immediately seem to hit it off. And uh, so Kirk's like, hey, let's uh, let's split this, uh, you know, this, this joint and uh, go for a walk. So they're out walking and talking and she's noticing and telling Kirk how charming and boyish he is. And uh, they're just about to start to make out when all of a sudden Kirk sees the body of some someone laying on the ground. And who would it be but Tom Layton uh, murdered. So Kirk is definitely smelling a rat now. So now he, um, back on his ship, he sort of pulls in a favor and arranges for the ship that's supposed to come and pick up this acting troupe to uh, cancel out. Because he knows Lenora will come to him and be like, hey, can you give us a ride? Which she does. And, uh, so, uh, you know, she comes to the Enterprise and sort of asks him, you know, can you, uh, bring us, you know, to, to our next destination and we'll give a free performance of, uh, of Hamlet for, for your crew. And Kirk, of course, agrees to it. So now he's got the crew. Well, it turns out. Then in addition to Kirk and uh, Tom Layton, um, Private Riley on the Enterprise is also a witness of Kodos the Executioner. One of nine witnesses of Kodos the Executioner, six of whom are dead and just happen to have died when the acting troupe has been in town or near town. So Kirk is really starting to figure out what's going on. So he immediately takes Private Riley and has him transferred, sort of demoted, backed into engineering. So he'll be safe. So so anyway, Riley is in Riley's in engineering and he's getting lonely. So of course he he calls up all his buddies in the rec room and has Lieutenant Uhura sing him uh, sing him the the charming song Beyond and Terry's. So while he's, you know, enchanted by the lovely Nichelle Nichols' voice, somebody comes in uh, with a with a poison uh, Windex bottle and starts squirting it in his uh, space milk. <laughs> so he drinks his space milk, and as he's, you know, choking and going down, he, you know, he, you know, she asks him, "How did you like the song?" And of course, he's choking and dies. Send help. So it's off to sick bay for Riley, and they get him just in time. So he doesn't die, but he's in sick bay, pretty uh, pretty screwed up. So now here's one thing: uh, this show is actually a, a mystery show, sort of. You know, it's a it's a who's ki- who who done it sort of show. So I'm not really going to give away the ending of this show. So I, we'll, we'll discuss oh, it after. Well, we'll discuss it after my um, after my synopsis. We can discuss it freely in that part of the show. But that means, you know, the people who don't want to get it spoiled, they can go watch the show and then listen to the rest of. You know, you can. I'll have a link for it on our Libsyn page too, so you can go see it on this uh, officially sanctioned YouTube CBS page. It's and, uh, only been a, been available to these people for forty three years. Exactly. All right? <laughs> well, I'm I'm saying this. We've got we've got like girl, we've got like Girl Machine, who's a new Star Trek fan, 
And I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to give away the ending to a brand new Star Trek to somebody who's never seen it before. You know, okay, come on. We're we're, we're trying to introduce these people to Star Trek. Why why ruin it? We'll ruin it right after I'm done with the with my little synopsis. And, and I, I would be more and that way. They can choose. Simply... They can choose whether they want to <laughs> hear it or not. I would be more afraid that just simply watching this particular episode might ruin Star Trek for them. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. That's the thing that I discovered watching it again, you know, but I've become a lot more tolerant. Uh, Well, I mean, you know, we we only have, what is it, like 78, 79 original episodes anyway. So, you know, I try to really be... You know, I I try to savor them all. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But (laughs) still... Yeah, this one wasn't as bad as I remember it. Well, well, hang on, uh, hang on. I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. So let's not start tearing it apart. (laughs) Because, and I'm saying all this because I already have the synopsis sort of pre-read out or written out, so I'm sort of reading it. So, is Kodos killing the eyewitnesses? It's a Star Trek mystery episode. Will Kirk be next? Well, you know, the answer of that is, of course, yes. And uh, this time he and Spock are in his room discussing the situation and they start hearing, Captain, do you notice that low hum? And it's a, it's an overloaded phaser that somebody's hidden in his room. Well, they realize that this if this phaser goes all the way, it's going to explode and take out several decks of the ship. So Kirk, of course, you know, tells everybody to abandon like the three decks around him and he and Spock try to find the phaser and then he sends Spock away. And then, of course, the phaser is cleverly hidden up in the alarm light in his room. So there's like a flashing light behind the phaser illuminating the shape of a of a phaser. So he gets his phaser before blowing up half the ship. And uh, meanwhile, um, Riley's starting to recover a little bit. And uh, he overhears McCoy... Get you know right talking in his log about you know how basically um, the the Kodos the executioner might be on the ship. So Riley, you know, boogies out of sick bay, grabs a phaser, and goes to the uh, you know to the the backstage to to go kill Kodos and re- re- you know so revenge for his parents being killed. Or I believe that's what he said is that his parents were killed. But, um, you know, Kirk, Kirk finally, you know, confronts, confronts him. And the guy basically, without directly coming out and saying he's Kodos, he pretty much justifies, you know, what Kodos did and pretty much outs himself as being Kodos. But, um, is he actually the real killer? And, uh, how can we be sure that, uh, all of this will actually be resolved during the performance of Hamlet, I think that we can be a hundred percent assured that that's how that will end, and it is. So now we can go in. Now at this point, we're going to we're going to spoil everything, and we'll we'll tell who actually done it. And it, of course, if it was Kodos the executioner, that would be too easy. It is tragically his psycho daughter who is killing everybody. In order to clear her father, <laughs> not really clear her father's name, but just like get rid of anybody who remembers him directly, and that will somehow, you know, somehow make it better for him. Oh, you know, she's, 
you know, she's apeshit crazy, so whatever. It makes sense to her. <laughs> she is. She's she's bananas. Bananas and apeshit, the same thing. But, uh... <laughs> yeah. We get some great scenery chewing in this episode. We get some Kirk scenery chewing. I mean... Um, Kodos the Executioner, what a, what a, you know, he gets to really, like, oh, my daughter, it's just awesome. See, it's It's okay when he does it, because he's supposed to He's a Shakespearean ham, yeah, and he hams it all up, and his daughter, I mean, when, you know, at the end, when she finally gets to reveal how, you know, when she finally gets to go into, like, mode, you know, it's just great. that's the. I'm glad you think it's great because that's the part I hated as a kid, and it's still. Even though I found this one to be much better, watching it now than I remembered right. it to be as a kid, that's still the point where this episode jumps the shark for me. Is when she finally goes fucking bonkers at the end of it, and she's father and all that. She just yes. She the show must go on. She just is a little bit too over the top. Well, then, then we then we find out she actually goes into like a fantasy world where they're like, well, she's she's happy now. She still thinks her dad's putting on on play. And of course, you know, in the, at the end when it's revealed that, you know, that she's um the killer, she's got a phaser pulled on Kirk and she's going to kill him and she talks about killing him for enough time for her father to sort of sidle in front of him and take the phaser blast that was for meant for Kirk. So tragically she kills her own father but refuses to believe it. And and of course she does, yeah, the overwrought thing where she, you know, grabs onto her father's corpse and goes, Father, you can't be resting now. You have a show to put on. Wake up. Oh, surely you can't be sleeping now. Not while there are people to entertain, Father. <laughs> I think part of the problem is is that you know crazy wigged out bitches as bad as this one is that that hits just a little bit close to, to home for me personally with, with you know some well, of I the, think a lot the of crazy us... wigged out bitches I used to date so yeah but at least they, at least they weren't at least they weren't so, killing off all the they, survivors they just kind of freak me out you know at what least I mean? they, at least none of the and this, girls this you... woman I think she's creepy from the moment that she walks on screen really. Well, uh, Kirk, oh, Kirk is definitely into her. At least none of the girls. At least none of the girls you dated were like killing people off to cover for their father's like eugenically inspired mass murders. I don't know that. I guess. Do you know that for a fact? No, I. I, I guess you're right there. I guess that's a good point. <laughs> I, lo- I loved what you said about the squirt bottle. Because that's one of my notes is who knew Windex was poisonous? <laughs> that you and I both came up with Windex because it does look like it a Windex is. It's bottle. just a Windex bottle. They probably they probably went over to like the makeup guy and like grabbed like you know the little spray bottle that he had to like spray down Spock's ears to get them moist. <laughs> it's just it's just it's just a quick shot right in his milk. All right. Well, speaking of the milk, all right. Why, why, what the hell business does he have having not only a drink, but a drink in a glass with no cover over it or anything in the friggin' engineering section? Exactly. Then he's sitting you know? down right on the, like, right on the table with all the blinky lights and everything on it. Yeah. 
is that not the same place he sat a few episodes before where by just flicking a few buttons, he turned the fucking engines off. Now he's going to spill milk on the same console. It's, you know what? I think what that's the that same place he was shit? sitting where he did one more time. Yeah, too. that's that's what I'm saying. That's the episode. He 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 wigs out in that episode. That right. was uh, what was it? The naked time. Maybe they filmed he all wigs his out. shots at once and just sitting Probably. at that same place. Because <laughs> sadly, we don't we don't ever see Riley again after this. I, I always had the the feeling that maybe the poison did a little bit more to him than, than, yeah. you know, just give him a tummy ache or whatever. He had a little early retirement. We never do see him again. I, I liked uh, Riley. I think he could have been, I think he could have been Chekhov really, you know I mean? Yeah. He could have very easily stepped into that, that teen yep. idol, uh, uh, what's his name there from the, Davy Jones kind yes. of thing that, that Chekhov had going on, you know? And I, I'd love to know the the behind the scenes goings on that you know why this actor left you know why why we never got any more of uh, of Riley because I liked Riley you know we also get between to, these huh we also get to see McCoy getting toasted in this one having it, tilting back a few drinks you can actually hear in his voice that he's got a good buzz on <laughs> when he's talking to Spock because he's all just like. You know, Spock's worrying and, you know, talking about this. And McCoy's just basically like, what are you worried about, Mr. Spock? Well, come on, drink some of this with me. And just obviously loving it. And they're playing the happy drinking music, too, every time he's, like, tipping up his shower. Well, I could be dead wrong, but I don't remember a time ever seeing, like, you know, you obviously never see Kirk taking a shot on the bridge and i don't think we ever see scotty taking a shot in engineering so why the hell does mccoy get to drink in sick bay is he I on always duty got the feeling that mccoy almost lived down in sick bay you know he was just there all the time i never really got a feel for him having his own quarters i sort of Picture him just sort of curling up on one of those little beds at the end of the night and going to sleep and then getting up in the morning like, oh, huh, uh, and straighten out his, you know, his uniform a little bit and going to work, you know, maybe That's after a sad. shot or two of sorry and brandy. Well, he was kind of a lonely guy, you know. Whose quarters do we see in the episode with the salt vampire? Is that McCoy's quarters? I think quarters? that is McCoy's quarters. And Spot I think comes that might be the only it. time we ever see McCoy's yeah. quarters. And they're pretty plain, if I remember. Yeah, there's not much there. And, well, it's just, you know, if the guy's off the clock, that's fine. That's his own business. But still, I mean, would it... Yeah, would it's it, just weird. How, well, how would it make you feel if you stumbled into sickbay, you know, you, you'd accidentally phasered your foot off or exactly, something. Exactly, exactly. And McCoy's like, and hey... <laughs> yeah, just step right over to the examination table and I'll hook you right up. It's there's, like no, no there's thanks. a long tradition of alcoholic doctors, so I guess it wouldn't be too out of line. <laughs> Another thing, and my only other note I really have for this episode is that guy Tom Layton. He almost looks, especially in that first scene. The first thing I thought in the first scene when I saw his profile before you see his uh, his face patch is. Uh, you know, his profile, and he's sitting there with Kirk. I thought it was McCoy. And I'm like, whoa, look, it's McCoy in his street clothes. And then I'm like, oh, that's not McCoy. But the guy actually looks sort of like the genetic 
pairing of McCoy and and Kirk. You know, he's like Ooh, sort of like creepy. a DeForest Kelly, um, Shatner clone. It's a little <laughs> weird, yeah. Now, as cool as I think that character was, and and everything, you know, I. I I like the actor in that role. For some odd reason, I always liked that character, and I, I thought it was a shame he gets killed off. How badly do 23rd century prosthetics suck? I know. I mean, he's just – he's literally got like like, like a black patch on the <laughs> side of his face. He's got a face patch, yeah. Yeah, he's he's got a pirate's – Patch spread it's, it's over like a pirate's pa- patch mixed with a Mexican wrestling mask sort of thing going on there, yeah. <laughs> and it very much reminds me of Wolf in the Fold. He's dead, and then like you have a spouse, and you know their their beloved spouse has just died, and that, and she sort of you know puts the puts the blanket over his head, and she's like, well, he's happier now that. He doesn't have to worry about, <laughs> you know, about Kodos the killer, Kodos the executioner anymore. And it's just like, come on. You don't think she'd be more like an ang- – it was just like when the guy lost his – you know, one guy lost his wife, a guy lost his his daughter in Wolf in the Fold, and they were both just like – they weren't happy. <laughs> but, you know, but they weren't like as anguished as real people would be, you know. Because I guess it would distract from the story, but that, that's always something I notice is sometimes people die and the people around them are just like, oh yeah, what a bummer that, that you know, yeah, people lose people lose loved ones and I guess maybe you don't want to show them re- truly mourning because it would sort of distract from the main story that you only have 40 some minutes to to tell, so... Yeah, but still, at the same rate, you know, I mean, it wouldn't have been a little more because doesn't she pretty much just walk out of the room? I mean, yeah, I, yeah, know, yeah. She, she, she has have just gone to pieces and ran out of the room. You know, yeah, you're sobbing in the in the next room until the door wishes closed or something. Oh, you, know? you show McCoy giving her like a stiff tranquilizer or something, you know, <laughs> or something, and maybe yeah, that I'm would a, explain I'm it. I'm out of this shit. This yeah. look here. It's working for me. Come on, Spock. Lighten up. <laughs> Let's and, see what and and what and, and actually this? we got to hear Kirk say someone was dead. He, he didn't say he's dead me, but he did. You know, he did get <laughs> he did get to sort of undercut the he's dead what? thing. Speaking of that, he doesn't touch him or anything. No, he, he goes he, over and kind of looks at him. He goes, yeah. Yeah, he's dead, I guess. He doesn't even have for yeah, the guy could have been just drunk and passed out, you know, on the ground. I mean <laughs> had an epileptic seizure or something. Who knows, you know? Nah. I found him. He's dead. Oh, oh I'm feeling much better. <laughs> nope, definitely dead. Alright. Yeah. Well let me see. What have I got for this? Alright, we covered uh we covered the milk. That was the big thing for me was the milk. I was like, okay, this is just Alright. You know, people bust on the, the old Star Trek for being cheesy and stuff like that, and I defend it, but you know, when they do stuff like that, it, it's hard to defend sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But Alright, probably my my other really big one for this one. Alright. Such a big point, such a big part of this episode is is about the fact that there's a limited number 
of living witnesses to Kodos. You know, that's what the whole thing is about, you know, that, that there's only a few of them left, that they're right. getting bumped off. You know, we got Tom Layton gets bumped off. They try to kill Riley. They try to kill Kirk. You know, these guys are so important. They're the, they're the last people that can identify Kodos and all that. What the fuck do they need any of these people for? They've got a goddamn picture of him in the computer, and they've got a voice yep. print analysis. Yep. So what do they need living witnesses for? The well, guy's on file. Here's another. You know? Here's another thing that didn't really make any different. Didn't, didn't make any sense either, either. Is how how did how how was she planning to kill Kirk and Riley if they were going to take another ship? You know, you know, Kirk sort of maneuvered them onto his ship to, to ah, you know, how, how, how was, how was she planning to get at Kirk and, you know, she would have had to killed Kirk, you know, her chance to really kill Kirk would have been like just when they found, when he found Layton's body and was maybe hunched over it, she could have shot him in the back or something like that, you know? Yeah. But... So that didn't so so you know there were a she lot of gonna, plot holes just to keep the story moving you know she was going to jump his bones down on the planet and give him like space herpes or something yeah so, I don't know that's a that's an excellent point how was she planning to kill them before she, was she just gonna, the yeah so was she going to just wait till some other time you know ah well well those are the only last two people, you know, the captain of the Enterprise and this other crewman on the Enterprise. But I'll just wait, and we'll probably just sort of randomly bump into each other in the, the universe here, you know, in the galaxy sometime in the near future before I die. Then I'll kill him. <laughs> oh, no, how lucky. How lucky. My ship canceled yep. out. You know, see, and, these are the things you're not supposed to think about. Right, you're you're just supposed to watch the show, and and I didn't really, you know, and I didn't really, th- I wouldn't have thought about it if I wasn't sitting watching the show, taking notes, knowing that I was gonna like chew it up on the show, you know. So, right. you know, they can they can get away with stuff like that as most TV shows do. Although I have to say, you know, in this these this day and age, the TV shows do in general, try to seem to hold their shit together a little bit more. They do try to, like, run continuity or or not be completely just ridiculously unbelievable, unless it's some, like, broad parody-like show. But, you know, but Star, (laughs) Star Trek usually kept it together for the most part, but this one, nah, not so much. I think... I think this one worked in in the fact that it had, you know, its own sort of tone to it, you know. It was a a, a murder mystery sort of sort of thing that wasn't it wasn't really too hard to figure out though. It wasn't anything really like too complex. But you know, with Shakespearean overtones of tragedy and and you know, the bad guy being not necessarily, you know, he he had sort of a little bit of a justification for what he did, or at least he, you know, he at least had a monologue where he got to say, you know, who knows what somebody else would have done in my play, you know, that sort of bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> it was better than I remembered it, just like, just like you said. I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. I wasn't really looking forward to seeing this one, but... I was surprised to find that I wasn't like lagging through it. You know, I was right. I was engaged all the way through it. I thought it was pretty good. 
I think there's some, there's, you know, there, there's some episodes that you see as a kid and because either they're deeper or they don't have as much action or they're more cerebral or whatever. When you're a kid, you, you see those episodes like this one. Yeah, there's a lot of things you we go, don't pick up eh. on when you're a kid. Like, yeah. like there's a scene where, um, where, um, um, when, um, Lenore Caridian comes onto the bridge to ask Kirk to to take her to you know to their next destination and she's leaving and Janice Rand is coming on yeah and Janice Rand just gives her a look of just like you bitch she gives her a up and down and just like a glare you know that I never would have picked up as a kid but it's it's totally there you know a director said you know give her a little bit of the like what for there when you walk by and there was a little bit of like as a as a uh, as a pass in the elevator door, you know. There's, you know, and I, I mean, you really don't have to know your Shakespeare to to get. And, and any of the references, you know, of to Shakespeare, they really hammer them home in this. You know, it's not anything that you have to know ahead of time. You know, they really make sure to telegraph when they say the name of that particular episode. You know, in the in the in the actual show. Right. So, so, but it's, it's fun and it, and it gives you a little more of a, of a insight, I guess, into the, into the enterprise as, as far as, you know, uh, you know, here's their, you know, they've actually got a little, um, stage and theater, you know, and stuff like that, which was later really like exploited more in uh, the next generation right that, that you that you ended up seeing a lot of that sort of stuff the cultural life of aboard the enterprise the stuff that you know to fill the long hours in cold space i was trying to look it up and i still can't find it but if i remember my trek trivia correctly i'm pretty sure this was the first and and possibly the only time that we ever see the uh, the observation deck. You know where 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 Kirk takes Lenore. I'm pretty you know, sure the, there's another. There, I I'm I'm pretty sure there's another scene in the observation deck somewhere because it seems familiar to me. Maybe it's just the first time. Then I'm not sure, but I did find. I couldn't find any info on that, but what I did find is that uh, supposedly this is the only episode that ever shows nighttime on the Enterprise, you know, because Kirk makes the the comment about, you know, how they try to approximate, right. you know, night day and, day, and night. day and all that. And supposedly this is the only one that actually shows nighttime on the Enterprise. But, yeah, I think I, I think this could be the first one with the uh, – yeah, because I think you're right. I think there is at least one other episode with uh, with the observation deck now that I, I think seem, about it. Might I seem to recall it, but I don't remember exactly which one it is. Is it that one where it's a really – from what I remember anywhere, it's a really stupid episode where there's that planet that's overpopulated – Oh, and they yeah. they beam Kirk to like the recreation yes. of the Enterprise. I think that he and that chick might end up talking in the in the. I don't know. We'll just have to see deck. when we get there. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, couple a uh, couple interesting things I found out about this one. I never have known how. You, how do you pronounce the the name of the guy that that created the Simpsons? Is it Gro- Gronig? Groening. 
Graining. Okay, Matt Graining says that uh, those alien characters that he, he created for the yes. Simpsons, the Kang Kodos and, and Kang, yeah, yeah, Kodos, that comes from this episode and, and Kang the Klingon. Yep, I would totally. Um, I, I was going to mention something of that and I totally forgot. Oh, uh, okay. And then uh, supposedly uh, Ronald D. Moore, who was a writer on, I think he was a writer on uh, Next Gen, if I remember right. I know he was a writer on one, possibly more of the of the later Trek series. And then he eventually he went on to, uh, you know, the reimagined um, Battlestar Galactica. Supposedly, this is his favorite original Star Trek episode, which That's I find odd. hard to believe that this is anybody's favorite episode. But supposedly, he liked it so much that uh, the name of the prison barge on the uh, the newer Battlestar Galactica was called the Astral Queen after the the ship um, in this episode, the one that Kirk calls up and says, Hey, you know, can you skip out on these actors, you know, so that I can transport them. So I thought that was interesting. And, uh, and then another piece of trivia I found out here, I'm I'm just looking different places online to see what people had to say about this episode. I thought this was really the coolest one. Um, According to this, the fourth season um, enterprise episode um, in a mirror darkly part two, which, you know, for all the people out there that, that knock enterprise, you know, if you haven't seen the two parter uh, in a mirror darkly, you owe it to yourself to watch that one, especially if you're a fan of classic star Trek. Cause uh, that is a fantastic episode. You know, I, yes, I know it's enterprise and everybody hates that show, but that one was great. That was the one where they wound up on uh, another constitution class ship like uh, like the Enterprise. It was the one from uh, the Tholian web. I can never remember the name of that ship where it falls through the, the wormhole. Right, right. They end up finding that ship in an alternate timeline. And uh, it, was, it was a cool episode. Anyway, um, it says that the future biographical information displayed for the character on that show, uh, Hoshi Sato, she was the communications officer states that she was one of the 4,000 people killed by Kodos on uh, uh-huh. Tarsus colony in her future. So I thought that was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. That, uh, that they actually tied her in, you know, to that episode. So that was, that was kind of neat. I thought, but uh, yeah, that's all I've got on this one. You know, not, not near as bad as I remembered. I mean, like you said, when this came up in the, in the, Yep. In the, like the random binders. choice, I was, I was like, Ugh. but yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't half bad. Speaking of random choice, I think it's <gasps> about right that time. Do you got your uh, you got your guide there? You fought me totally with my pants down. Uh, Let uh... me see. I can... <laughs> <laughs> I can find it real quick. Let me see. It's gotta be it's here, right here. Somewhere. A little warmer down there in Georgia, but. Well, I you know normally do the show with no pants on, and you know it's just just my and thing, you drink, know. Yeah, and drinking too. It's highly suspicious. Highly <laughs> suspicious. All right. All right, I got my list. All right, well I'm firing up the computer and it's grinding to it. Uh, oh, whoa! Spit you out wrote a random 12. number. Interesting number twelve. And which is funny because last time it kicked out number thirteen, so it's only one. So it's actually the episode before this, before Conscience of the King. All right. Well, <clears throat> we're gonna have to do something weird on this one. Number twelve is actually the Menagerie Part Two, 
Oh. So we're going to have to watch the menagerie in in total, I guess, right? Oh, so maybe maybe we'll maybe we'll do a either extended show or a two-parter or something. Maybe we we'll could do, do a two-parter. Yeah. We could do a two-parter. We haven't done one yet and it's a two-parter show, so we might as well uh reflect that. All right, a two-parter coming up. The menagerie part 1 and 2, of course, the the sort of bastardized bastardized version of the cage which when i when i um program the random number generator i i enter the lower number as zero so if zero comes up i think that should be the cage and we'll and we'll review and we'll watch and review the cage because i'm sure you have a copy of the cage oh yeah so yeah yeah so do i so we'll we'll you know if that ever comes up then we'll actually be able to do the the original pilot which of cool. course was never aired, but has gotten has made its way around. So, so I think uh, I think that's it. Next week, the the, the menagerie, which next is month, next month, next month. That's right, the menagerie. Oh, and you know what? It's awesome. Gotta, it's a we... Christopher Pike show, which is going along with the movie. So it's Chris, going well with the Christopher Pike mythos. That's true. Well, also. We do need to do this one as a as a two parter in one episode because then the month beyond that Is, we do our uh, first movie uh, review. Yeah, Star Trek the Motion Picture. Yeah. And uh I think for that what we will do is we should do the um the gussied up motion picture. The one that um I guess it's is it called the director's cut? Uh, director's something, I believe it's director's cut. Yeah, yeah, I think we should do that version because I think oh, yeah. I agree with you that that's like the ultimate version and the most most enjoyable and watchable version. And and if people who've never seen that version watch it, I think they'll see that movie with totally new eyes. I hope so. I hope so. So yeah, so that's cool. coming up. Yeah, in a that's couple a couple months. of good ones. So we got the next three Star Trek episodes are going to be really good, and of course. Next month you'll probably be polishing off those uh, those pesky marvels. I'll do my best to wait on through. You know, because the the nice thing about those, I, I will just say this much. You know, I, I know I'm very harsh on that series, and, and rightfully so. But thankfully, they they did have an excellent swan song in number eighteen. So it's it's worth you so know it's waiting. Go out on a bang, huh? Yeah, exactly. Yep, and I'm looking forward to to getting there. Excellent. So yeah. So we'll see you Star Trek fans next month and you Two True Freaks fans next week, if not sooner. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. TwoTrueFreaks.Lipson.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Lipson, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email us directly at TwoTrueFreaks at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to the Two True Freaks podcast. The Two True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. That's 1-585-267-2666.
888-528-5873. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U. Get a life, will you, people? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I mean, for, for crying out loud, it's it's just a TV show. <laughs> I mean, look at you. Look at the way you're dressed. You, 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 you've turned an enjoyable little job that I did as a lark for a few uh, years into a colossal waste of time. I mean, I mean, how old are you people? What have you done with yourselves? <laughs>